Um, as Ian uh, said at the beginning of the service, we begin a new series today uh, in Romans. I was in, uh, in a church in Bolton yesterday, uh, a church that I've got to know reasonably well over the last uh, couple of years. And one of the women said to me, she said, uh, I've been listening to all of your, uh, your podcasts or your, your sermons that you've been online. She said, that was a very good series, wasn't it, on the fruit of the Spirit? I said, yeah, it was. It was, it was good. She said, yes, it was excellent. I really enjoyed it. I said, yeah, I didn't preach in it at all. She said, no, it was brilliant. <laughs> and, <laughs> so I can't uh, sort of uh, give any indication of uh, the quality of what's going to happen next. But we do begin this new series on Romans. And uh, Romans is, is the big book in the New Testament. It's kind of like the, the big letter. Um, it deals with big themes, but it often does so in ways that are not always easy to understand at first sight. You've got to, you've got to dig a little. Um, I think I, I, I wrote somewhere, I told you, that um, there was a famous preacher called Martin Lloyd-Jones who was at Westminster Chapel in the sort of 60s and 70s, perhaps a little earlier than that. And uh, on a Friday night, he would preach. He preached his way through, uh, through Romans. He only got as far as something like chapter 9, and it took him 13 years of weekly preaching. We're going to do it in a little quicker than that, um, because uh, life's... <laughs> <laughs> to be enjoyed. But it is a big book. And it's the big book that tells a big story. It's um, one of the few letters that are in the New Testament that Paul writes to a church that he's either not founded or even not been, been to yet. Paul hadn't visited the church in Rome. So it's not a, a book uh, or a letter that's dealing with problems in the church as such. What he's doing, he's actually trying to introduce both himself, and in introducing himself, what he's doing is he's introducing his understanding of the gospel, the big good news of God. So the letter as a whole is, what is the gospel? And what's the Christian life about? How do you live it? What's God up to? Has he lost control? What's the big plan? How do you live as a citizen in Rome? Those are the big questions. And in 16 chapters, in quite detailed chapters, in ways that we won't really do uh, justice to, I'm on it, if I'm honest, because you could spend so long in it. But we'll, over, we'll look over this big story and go, what's Paul, what's Paul wanting you and me to know? And more than that, what's the echo of God behind this? What's God wanting to uh, pull you into. I said earlier, this is a big week, isn't it? This is the week of the Scottish referendum. And um, the, the Scottish um, nation have to work out the answers to some really fundamental questions, like who are we? And what will our story be going forward? What will be best for us? Who do we want to govern us? What do we want our future to look like? And it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because you and I might have an opinion on that now, but we're not being asked. (laughs) 
not being asked. And so you, you're watching on, and, and if you've been following the debate and following what's going on, you'll know that actually this is a big thing. And, and perhaps in England it's only been apparent in the last few months how big a deal it is that something that we've taken for granted for 300 years is going to change. And we watch on Powerless as another, another nation says, actually, we want to decide who we are. We want to decide where our capital is. Is it Edinburgh or it will, will it remain London? And the politicians, they fight and they tell stories and they leak things, perhaps, and they indicate to one another what's going to be best for the nation. And they long to be in control. The story that's being worked out in Scotland and uh, that sense of who holds the destiny of the future, that was the story that had been really settled in first century Rome. In Rome, where this letter, of course, is being written to, Rome was the capital of the greatest empire in the world. Although, interestingly, it only ever went as far as the Scottish borders. I don't know if that's a sign, but anyway. <laughs> the city was a city of half a million people. It was a crowded city. It was like any big capital city. It was expensive to live there, and what you could buy for your money, when the, actually your money didn't go far. So people lived in actually quite cramped conditions, unless you were very uber-rich, and there were the uber-rich. But there was a lot of poverty as well. A lot of people just scraping by, on menial trades. But it was from where the whole world or the whole known world was governed. It was the most powerful city on earth when Paul writes to it. And in that city, in that city of poverty and, and wealth, of politics, of power, of war, and all the rest of it, some people had become Christians kind of intriguing to know how that might have happened. We're not really sure how people first heard of Jesus. But clearly what probably had happened is when people had been dispersed from Jerusalem because they were being uh, persecuted there, people just, they scattered. They were like, they were like marble. You know, if you get, imagine a, a sort of like a, a, a group of marbles and, and a big dobber, we used to call them, um, dropped on it and then the, the, the marbles scattered. That's what happened really. And the people who scattered carried the message of Christianity with them. And some people clearly had gone to Rome. And some people in Rome who'd become Christians had been Jews. And, and they'd seen that actually Jesus was their Messiah. And they'd accepted Jesus as their Messiah. And other people had been pagans. And they'd been worshipping all sorts of gods. But they decided and recognised that actually in Jesus, Jesus... Uh, it sounds irreverent, really, but Jesus was a better bet than all the other pagan gods. But they were largely ignored. And Paul tells two reasons why he wants to go to this Roman city. In the beginning, and the bit we'll read in a moment, he says, I want to come to you because I want to share, I want to offer some spiritual gift to you. But then at the end of the letter, he says, the other reason I want to come to you is because I'm aiming for Spain. That's where I really want to go. Now, Paul's come from what we would call Turkey, and he's aiming for Spain. Now, why Spain? Well, because Spain was the end of the known world. 
And Paul wants to say, I, I just want to go the whole world. He said, and he, in, the, in the latter part of the letter here, he says, I've, I've, I've spread the gospel as far as I can over here. I've gone all up the coast. And I'm aiming for Spain. Because Paul's understanding of the gospel wasn't that it was good news just for a few people. It wasn't good enough really for Paul that just a few people in Rome had worshipped Jesus. He said, actually, this is a global gospel. This is good news for the whole world. Something had happened to him. His own story had been changed. God had intervened. And it didn't only answer the longings of his own heart, but it suggested to Paul that he was part of God's big plan. So, shall we read from, uh, from chapter 1 and uh, see how we're doing? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. That word servant could also mean slave of Christ Jesus. I'm not going to talk about it much later, but just to say this, that even, two things, um, he uses his Roman name, Paul, Okay, Paul was a citizen of Rome. He, he not, I mean, he, he was a Roman city. He belonged to the empire. And if you remember, he was called Saul, and then he transferred to Paul. And one of the reasons that that might have happened is because Paul was a name that gave him access to so many different places. Saul was like a, a, a Jewish name, an ethnic name. But Paul was the name that gave him access. And so here he is writing to the most powerful city in the world using his Roman Empire name, Paul, and then indicating and introducing himself as the most degraded position you can imagine. I'm a slave. I'm a slave of Jesus. Called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to faith and obedience for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how I constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so till now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first, to last, just as it's written, the righteous will live 
by faith. Now, one of the words we're going to be using throughout this morning, and we'll come back to all time and time again, is that word gospel. Now, the thing about gospel word is that gospel sounds just churchy. It's a churchy world. You don't talk about the gospel in your everyday life. Pretty much, I suspect that none of you um, have had, had cause to use the word gospel any part of your ordinary speech this week. It's a church word. You come and hear the gospel. He's preaching the gospel. But the gospel um, in Greek, the word for gospel, euangelion, is exactly the same word as good news. So when Paul is writing about the gospel, people who are reading his letter or hearing it being spoken would only hear it as good news has been proclaimed. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that when they heard this phrase, there's been good news, that was a very common phrase because, for example, when an emperor was born, the news would go out and it would say, there is, uh, there is um, great tiding there is tidings of great joy because the gospel is a new emperor has been born. You hear the echo of the Christmas message from the angels. But it's tidings of great joy. We've got good news for you. An emperor has been born. When an emperor would come into position as being emperor, you know, they've grown up and they're now acceded to that position, what would go out through the whole known world, the Roman Empire, was we've got good news, folks. We've got gospel. There's a new emperor. This emperor figure, particularly by the time Paul is starting to write, he's taken on semi-divine attributes. He's being called a son of God. It's like not only is he the most powerful person politically, but now people are going and saying there's something divine about him. So this is so the Romans are living in a time where they're seeing the gospel being related to an empire and an emperor. And the empire would last forever. And so how do you be blessed? Well, you'd be blessed by keeping the law of the empire and keeping the gods happy by sacrificing. And in return, the empire would keep you safe. There would be, some of you are old enough to do this sort of stuff at school, I don't know if they still do it, but something called the Pax Romana there would be the peace of the Roman Empire. Wherever you would go, the peace would be there because the Romans would actually conquer. They'd conquer the French, the Gauls. They'd conquer the Germans. They'd conquer the Vandals and the Goths and other skateboarders. So when Paul talks about the gospel... They are hearing it as, ah, this is, you're talking about a different sort of good news, aren't you? So when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, in verse 17, uh, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, because in the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. Paul says, there's a different story. 
The story that you've been given to live in is not the only story. There's a better good news. I'm not ashamed of the fact that on a cross in around AD 33, a man was seemingly crucified by the Roman Empire, but then he resurrected from the dead. It changed Paul. Ian's point is well taken. His last comments. God has dealt with terrorists before. And he stepped into a terrorist life and changed him. And now, Paul is going, it's the only hope for the world. So believing the gospel is the only truth worth relying on. Putting your faith in the gospel is the only way you can be saved. It's the only truth that won't let you down. Now, can you understand then, if you were a Christian in Rome saying, that's how you see life, you feel very different than your neighbours. And in fact, some people would look at you and go, you're committing treason. Because you're disrupting the status quo. You're disrupting what people take for granted. You're saying that the Roman story is not the most important story. You're saying you've got a whole different way of looking at the world. That's what it means to be a Christian. What is that gospel? Verse 2. The gospel he promised, God promised, beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the gospel. This is how Paul introduces his understanding of what has God been doing. Well, firstly, God planned Jesus a long time ago. It was promised in the Old Testament. And Paul, in the letter, is going to keep going back to the Old Testament and saying, can you see what's going on there? We've seen the fulfillment here. It's not like God's a quick knee-jerk reaction to something that's gone wrong, but God's been planning something from creation. It's been promised. And as such, God is trustworthy. It's regarding his son. Remember what I said about the emperor? being known as a son of God. But let me tell you, who's the real son of God? It's Jesus, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. And that David figure, when you read it, it's always that thing of David, King David, he was the great liberator. He was the one who came and made everything different. And now they're saying Jesus comes from that line. Jesus is from a family of liberators. And through the resurrection, he's the son of God. He's been appointed the son of God in power. Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are different. And he follows it by saying this. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Two important words there. You've been called and you've been called to belong. You've been given a new identity. And you've been given a new loyalty. This week, for various reasons, I was, I was watching a little film, an interview, with a man called uh, Paul Cowley, who uh, heads up Alpha in prisons. Lots of prisoners across our country have done Alpha in, in prison. And he heads it up. 
Paul Cowley comes from Collyhurst, just up the road, and he's kept his Manchester accent really well. But I'm guessing now he's in his sort of like mid to late 50s. And he told his story about what had happened to him. He grew up in, in Collyhurst, and he grew up as, as a child with two functioning alcoholics in Collyhurst. And he said Collyhurst was rough in the, 19, in the early 1960s. And at the age of 17, having dropped out of school at 15, at the age of 17, he'd sort of done that sort of transition and got himself into trouble, and he found himself in Risley, in, uh, in the remand centre at Risley. Did a short sentence there, and from Risley, he joined the British Army. He was in the army for 14 years. Two marriages, two divorces in 14 years. And he said that during his time in the army, what went on for him was he felt haunted by the God question. Not a Christian background at all, but just haunted by God. By the time he got out of the army, he, had, he was in a, another relationship, he had a girlfriend, and in the mid-80s, he was passing a church in London, Holy Trinity Brompton, and he saw a big banner outside uh, advertising Alpha, you know, come and talk about life's big questions. And he said, I went in to discuss the fact that I felt I was being haunted by God. And he said when they got to the Holy Spirit sessions, uh, he encountered something. He said, I, I had an experience I can't describe. He said, but it just now, in retrospect, it's God got hold of me. And he said, and this is what I prayed. He said, my first prayer to this God who I felt had been chasing me, but I didn't know, was this. If you'll have me, I'm in. If you'll have me, I'm in. And the person who interviewed him, on, this is on YouTube, you can watch it, uh, the YouTube clip said, she was a very proper American lady. And she said, well, it's not particularly the classic sinner's prayer. <laughs> and he said, no, but it's a pretty good one, isn't it? You can take the man out of Collierst, but... He said, because actually, he said, that's how we all start. If you'll have me, I'm in. And the if is really important because you come and you go, I've got nothing to offer you, God. Because I've been running most of my life away from you. But if you'll have me, I want to be in. And Paul wrote to citizens in Rome and said, you are among those who've been called to belong. And it's like God goes ahead of us and says, if you, if you want to come in, you're welcome. If you'll have me, God, I'm in. And I wonder whether God replies, if you'll come in, you're welcome. You will be saved. Saved from the consequences of sin. Saved from the alienation from God. Saved from the wrath of God. Saved for the glory that God wants to, you to be. God, if you'll have me, I'm in. One of the things that Paul's going to wrestle with for the Romans is this. God is holy. And we're not. How does God deal with that? And here at the beginning of his letter, he says he does it through Jesus. Because in the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. 
a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. Because you'll lean into God and you'll go, I've got nothing, I'm not good enough, but I can trust in you. And I trust in what you've got. Jesus takes on the mess and he takes it from us and we're freed. So what does it mean to live this gospel-shaped life? I'm kind of conscious that in, in beginning in this way, there's some of you going, yeah, I know all that because I've been a Christian for donkey's years. But it's like actually every now and again coming back to, but this is, this is what it's about. So the gospel-shaped life is this. I'll watch the news with sorrow at God's ways that are often rejected, but hope because it's God's story. The gospel doesn't remove you from the world. It says, actually, how do you see it? Secondly, I'll carry the gospel. I won't be ashamed of the gospel. And the thing that I've kept coming back to in my own mind is that phrase, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. There is no other way, Paul says, and that's a challenge. Chant to a bloke yesterday, a really nice bloke, but a very shy fella. He works in sales, telemarketing, and uh, for, for all the time I've known him and been talking to him, the thing he struggled with is, he said all the time, he said, I, I don't know how to tell anybody else about Jesus. He said, I'm working this really macho, driven office, he said, and I don't know how to do it. He said, but anyway, he said a few weeks ago, he said, I was having to stay behind work after because I wanted to use the computer to get some things ready for uh, a talk I was doing for Sunday school, junior church, and uh, I'd left it too late. And so, but I thought, well, if I just get another hour in, I can use their computer. He said, and I was working on a slide, a PowerPoint slide that said, Jesus is alive. And it had some bursting out of it, all that sort of stuff. And he said, and, and a bloke, one of the other blokes from one of the other sort of desks came past him and said, what are you doing? And he said, well, he said, I'm, I'm working on this talk for Sunday school. And then he stopped and he said, but what you need to know, Neil, is 18 months ago, I wouldn't have said anything. He said, 18 months ago, I shut down the computer really quick and said nothing. He said, but I've decided I've got nothing to lose because I'm Jesus. And so he talked about it. He said, I'm, I'm hopeless at time management and I've left it too late and da 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 And the bloke said, so what are you working on? What is it? And on a, I don't know, 23-inch screen that says Jesus is alive, it's a bit difficult to sort of... <laughs> he said, well, it's that. <laughs> And they had a conversation. And it's that sense of, for really good people, what does it mean to say, I'm not ashamed of this? Because actually, I think it's our only hope. I don't think we've got any other option. I don't think when we look at the mess that's around, when we look at individual lives that are crumbling, I don't think there's an alternative. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to watch the news differently, continually. I'm going to carry the gospel. And I'm going to live a life shaped by grace and calling. Paul writes to Roman Christians in a city that was doing its own business. But really interestingly, a city that now we look at and go, well, that was interesting historically, wasn't it? But the gospel is still changing lives. 
The empire goes, but the gospel remains. May you know the power of the gospel. And may you also know what it means not to be ashamed 